Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. So, have you ever had um, expectations in your life? Probably, maybe. If you say no, um, we should probably switch over to a sermon on deceitfulness, maybe. Um, How about expectations that aren't met? Seems like a lot of expectations in my life and probably in yours is ones that, um, or they don't quite turn out the way we thought they would. And so today, we're going to see this in this passage, and so we'll get into that a little bit. I was kind of thinking about some of our different unmet expectations through life, and one of the ones that I tend to fail at a lot is vacation. Like, you have this perfect vacation planned, and think you know how it's all going to turn out, and it just usually doesn't work that thinking several years ago the children were smaller they were probably like six and eight Logan and Lorianne and we drove out west and it was our first time to Yellowstone and was all excited for the day it was like we had this day trip plan we were going to do this big loop had lunch packed we were going to hike all these places and see mountain streams and just have this perfect family vacation day so we get started and not sure the Logan and Lorianne weren't uh, on their best of behavior between each other which elevated Carla and I's behavior towards everyone so as you can imagine um, it just kind of had a downward trajectory and so we We were, I was getting kind of frustrated, really frustrated. We finally stopped to eat lunch and we had packed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches was our main course. We had no utensils. So we got bread, we got peanut butter and we got jelly. So fingers do work. And at that moment, there was the frustration finally just culminated to thank God it turned to laughter. It was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to have fun today. And um, so there was a choice there with that. And something really interesting then, um, just here recently, the last few years, we found out Logan and Lori Ann confessed that there were times when we would be on trips that they would intentionally act like they were fighting to see how long it would take until mom and dad got upset. So it's funny now. I'm glad I didn't know that then. So that was just a little funny memory. But how many times um, life goes that way? And today we're going to see that what we just talked about was an expectation of just, it wasn't a promise. God didn't promise that we would have this perfect day. Um, Today we're going to see, though, where God makes a promise to his people and that hope starts out great, and then 
it kind of changes because they lose sight. They lose sight of the, his promise and they get into a, they get into a low part of their life. And one of the themes that we want to remember as we go through this book of Exodus, that God's whole plan then and now, whether it's the high moments of life or the low moments is he wants to reveal himself to his people and to others. And so that's where we want to just keep in mind throughout today, throughout your life, that whether, no matter what it is, he wants to reveal himself to us. So as we, we're going to start, we're going to actually go back in uh, the end of chapter 4, um, and we're going to start in verse 29. And so if we can pull up the next slide, uh, the next one, it'll kind of give us a breakdown. So we've got the title of Hope Versus Expectation, and we want to remember that we want to embrace the valleys of life as God reveals himself. And we're going to see kind of how this breaks down versus, um, and kind of broke it into four different things here. We're going to start out, though, um, at the beginning. So if you want to open your Bibles or turn your, we're going to go through the end of four, or the end of chapter four, all of chapter five. So starting out of chapter four, verse 29 says, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. There's one verse I want you to remember is verse 30. It says, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. We're going to refer to that at the end here because they knew the full promise of God. But we're going to see as we go through this how that they start forgetting that. So I want to say that currently the children of Israel are in a mountaintop experience with God. Um, there's there is God's revealed Himself to them. They're finally going. They're going to be delivered. There's this plan, and I think we have a picture of a mountain here. If we can pull it up, it's beautiful on the mountaintops. In the mountaintops of life, and when we're feeling that mountaintop spiritual closeness with God, it's it's a glorious place. We can see really far. We can, it's just a great place to sit. But remember, we can't sit there long. If you look at even in this picture, there's there's not much life there. There's it's when storms come, it's it's a really dangerous, it's, it's a hard place to stay. There's not, the oxygen is not as good. Just nature itself shows us that you can't, we are not designed to stay on the mountaintop for a very long period. And I think if we can remember that as we go through our lives, that the mountaintops are great, but we want to embrace the valleys as much or more than the, than the mountaintops. And so Starts out then in chapter five, after this mountaintop experience, 
It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. So there's a little, there's a little hiccup in their plan. They thought maybe we could just go to Pharaoh and he would let them go. Um, and the beautiful thing, or one of the things to, to remember here is when we're, when we're looking at Pharaoh in verse 2, um, one thing about Pharaoh, he was honest. He said, who is the Lord? I don't, I don't know him. Who should, why should I obey his voice? He was, Pharaoh was a god, small g god, in, that, in their time period. He viewed himself that way. The people viewed himself. The Egyptians viewed himself that way. And they had, they had a lot of gods in their life that they worshipped. And that is the signs that Moses will see perform is a direct confrontation against a lot of the gods that they worshipped. And so God's big G God, our God, our Father, is going to do is going to show Pharaoh who he really is. And um, so this is kind of the start of Pharaoh's hardened heart is he's not, he doesn't want to know who this, who God is. He does, he admits that he doesn't. Um, he was probably even offended that there was someone that they would be calling another God. <clears throat> so they had a, they had a, they started out with a hope of being delivered through this interaction with Pharaoh. We're going to find this next part of the passage starting in, in chapter six or in verse six, the trials start to come. So we go on in verse six, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. 
And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So things start to, be, to, be, to become a lot more difficult. They were given straw. They were probably given straw from the threshing floor after the wheat or the grain was was harvested and so there would be piles there would be areas there would be people that would have brought them the straw and now they had no access to even that and they had to go into the fields and gather whatever little pieces they could find and still do the same amount of work some of you may think you relate to this a little bit maybe your job is asking more and more of you to get done in the same amount of the same time of the day but uh it probably doesn't quite stack up to this this much. Um, it's interesting in verse 9. It says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And this is showing that Pharaoh is still having no belief in who this God is. He's saying what Moses and Aaron is saying. They're just liars. He's, he's He wants to... He wants to keep the people, the children of Israel to himself and to continue getting what he wants. But I think what we want to remember through this path, through this part, is our faith is always tested by trials. That's what strengthens our faith. And God's word, when we read through the scriptures, there is so many places that are um evidence of tested faith and i pulled up a few there's a few a few references i want to go through just to remind us um, of that basically a promise that we're told these things that we should learn to expect them and so therefore not kick against them when they come but to realize that it's a it's a strengthening process Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And Paul is writing here to Thessalonians saying, two of the things that marks a conversion in a believer is, is belief in the word of God. And then I see suffering in your life. I see suffering happening. So it's, a, it's an expectation. The next uh, passage is 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13, and Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, when comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And then also in James 1, 2 through 4, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we serve a sovereign God that um, I think when we fully start resting in his sovereignty in the low areas of our lives and in the trials and realize that it's by design and there's a next slide there is a picture of a valley. And when we look at valleys, what do we see here? We can even see the top of the mountain. There's, it's above tree line. There's rocks. There's not much growth. And you come down the valleys, and that's where, that's where even nature shows us, like this picture. There's, there's so much growth. There's provision. There's water. There's, there's food. There's water. There's cover. There's all these things, and he wants to, our Lord Jesus is all of those things. He supplies all of our needs. He is, he is, he is our sustenance. He is our cover. He is, he is who, he is, this, this picture is beautiful, but Christ is way more beautiful, and in the valleys of life, that is, if you can picture Christ in the valley of our life, he wants to be he wants to reveal all these different things. And so the children of Israel were looking at God as being a deliverer, which he is, but he's taken them through this period. And when we go through periods in our valleys, it's when he wants us to see him as more than just a deliverer. He wants, he wants us to know him and he reveals himself as as a comforter, as a provider, as all the names of God, search him out because he wants you to know him deeper than you've ever known. And must have allergies. But when we, when we, uh, when we truly start to believe this, that's where when Paul tells us, like, he glories, gloried in his infirmities. Like, we can, we can truly look at the hard times of our life and say, this is where growth happens. Growth doesn't happen on the mountaintop. It happens in the valley. And so, who here doesn't want to grow? Who here doesn't want to grow in Christ? I mean, it's what we want. We just want to grow on the mountain, and it's not possible. And so, I think when we when we can start viewing our valleys as a growing experience. Um, and we do that by focusing on him. When he reveals him, ask him to reveal, say, Father, what are you trying to show me in this valley? Because I don't like it. And he'll reveal himself. And that's where, no matter where you are, whether you're on the mountain or the valley, when God reveals himself, the valley seems like a mountaintop again. Goes on in verse, uh, starting in verse 15. And this is where the children of Israel, their hope, their mountaintop experience and their hope and his promise starts turning to an expectation. Things aren't going the way they want them to go. 
And they're, so they're expecting deliverance. And so the foremen would have been the people that are the children of Israel that were over different groups of the children of Israel. Taskmasters would have been the Egyptians that were over those foremen. So these foremen were part of the children of Israel. And so starts out in 15, it says, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So their hope here is turned to an expectation. They're, they're not being delivered. We got to find a way out of this. And they're losing sight of the promise that God has given them. The hope that they once had, hope is believing or trusting and resting in God's sovereignty. And if you're not sure that word sovereignty is, we throw it around a lot, but um, I don't expect you all to, or if, if you want to know what it is, the definition of, of sovereignty, God is a sovereign God. And it means that he has full authority, full right, full power, full wisdom over all things. And he does as he pleases. Nothing gets by him that he didn't know would happen. He was fully aware of everything. And so when, when we have hope, the difference of the hope and the expectation is, is hope, we say we, we, we know he's going to do what he says, or we know what the outcome will be, but we don't know how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And we can adjust our lives as things change and we can rest in knowing that he is the one that's in control of this situation. Expectation, it has an attitude of, I'm in control. It has an attitude of, I deserve this, and so I want this result. I want the outcome my way. And when our hopes turn to expectations, it's a dangerous place to be. And this, this in particular, we have expectations of our daily lives, but we have, this is where, this is a promise of God. And so I referenced, if you remember back at the end of verse four or chapter four, Moses and Aaron showed, the, they told the people exactly what God had told them. And what did God tell them? He told them, Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. You're going to have to perform, or you're not going to have to. You will perform all these signs to be delivered. Well, those things hadn't even happened. They were using, they were using selective hearing. And... So those things hadn't even happened. They were just still looking 
for the deliverance and it didn't happen the way they wanted it and, or they thought it would be. So it became an expectation. We go on to uh, verse 20 where expectations turn to blame. They met Moses and Aaron. So the foreman, after coming out from Pharaoh, said they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have a put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So their unmet expectation here just turned to disappointment and anger, and then it turns to blame. And why? Like I just said, they forgot God's promise. They forgot the details. They remembered deliverance, and that was what they remembered. And it's interesting because the people blamed Moses, and Moses in turn blamed God. Where else did we see that happen? We see that even in the garden, in the beginning, when and the fall in the garden, and Adam turns to God and says, well, it was, it was the woman you gave me. It was like, I, I didn't do this. So it's a natural tendency of fallen creation to, when things don't go the way we see then, or the way we want, then the blame starts shifting to others, which then ultimately shifts to God, and we're losing sight of who he is. This is also, I would call it a fail on Moses' behalf because he was directly confronted by God with the fiery bush and was he was a leader to the people. So in this situation, he could have, um, instead of blaming God, he could have reminded the people of God's sovereignty. He could have, he could have, said, wait, wait, hold on. God said this and this and this would happen. Like, don't lose heart. So how many times do I do that? How many times do we do that in our lives where it's just easier to shift the blame than just to remind each other of God's promise? So I don't want to be hard on Moses. We're all, we're all in the same boat. But the beauty is here, and we're going to find in the next upcoming Sundays is, is that our God is an amazing God. His plan, even though us as mankind forgets his promises, are disobedient, blames him, you know, all these things we see going through here, his plan is still accomplished. He doesn't depend on us to, we don't have to be involved in order for his plan. He wants us to be involved. It brings him glory when we're involved in his plan. 
but his plan is going to happen. And it's a beautiful thing because it shows that his love is not unfailing and that his forgiveness and his mercies are new and real because even though they lost sight of the promise, even though Moses didn't lead the people well here at the end and blames God, God still fulfills his promise of deliverance. And he's going to bring them, he, he brings them, he lets them get all the way to the bottom of the valley so that when they are delivered, there is no question. It wasn't Moses that delivered them. It wasn't Aaron that delivered them. It wasn't anything that delivered them except God. So a lot of times in our valleys, it may be a discipline, but ultimately, even if it's discipline, he is revealing himself and he will reveal himself in such a way that when we start to come out of the valley, that it's that we can fully see that it was all God, nothing else that delivered us out of this valley. So how do we how do we apply this to our lives? First of all, I don't want to be hard on expectations. Expectations are good. They're not necessarily bad. Goals are good. I'm talking about daily, not not uh, just our daily, day-to-day expectations. It's good to have goals. But the question is, is how do we, re- we react when our expectations are not met? That's where... That's where the issues usually arise. Do we, do we turn to demanding and do we turn to anger and blame? Or do we realize that God's sovereign over this and he has this? Another thing to remember is, is the expectations of our daily life, whether it's marriages. A lot of us are married here. And we had expectations of what a marriage might look like. And there's a lot of times where it doesn't quite go the way we expected it. And a lot of times it's our own fault. But we also have expectations maybe with children. Like we want them to act a certain way or whatever it may be. We may have expectations with our work or even our health. We may be tired of being sick, or we may have, there's expectations of so many things that we have throughout every day. But I want, I want us to remember when we go through those and those aren't met, remember that most of these things aren't even promised to us. God didn't promise a perfect marriage. He didn't promise perfect kids, a perfect job. He didn't promise you'd be healthy all your life. So why, why should we let these things that weren't even promised us change our outlook, change our attitude towards others or to God even, especially God? So those are the day-to-day things. I want to focus here, though, at the end in hoping in God's promises and don't let them turn to expectations. There's a lot of promises that we hear today and we've known all our lives and that are common to us, I want to say. A lot of them are distorted. They're distorted to 
make them fit our desires. Um, one, one of them I was thinking of, we hear a lot is where, you know, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a misused promise a lot of times in, in society because we think, I can do anything. Well, no, you, yes, you can if it's in Christ, if it's Christ's will, if it's for his glory, but if it's for my glory, no, it's not going to happen. And there's um, ones like, uh, ask anything in my name and I will give it. And those are things that, that's, that's a lot of the prosperity gospel type they take a promise of God and make it so that it caters to us. So I want to caution us against that to really fully understand what his promises mean. And I want to encourage us to study his promises. But while we study his promises, let's pray for wisdom to understand them because that's his promises is what is eternal. Those are the things that last. Our daily expectations, they're not even promised. So let's focus on his promises. He says when we're going through things, um, in fact, I've got a few promises here on the slides. We'll go through a couple of them. In Romans 8, 38, 39, it says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a lot of nors in there, and I think it pretty much covers everything. We are not going to be separated. doesn't matter where you're at in your life. If you're a child of his and know him, The passage explains itself. Nothing's, it's not, not, you're not going to be separated. So what really matters? You're not going to be separated. We'll be with him forever. We'll be in his presence forever. The next passage is 1 John, I think 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a pretty good promise. Let's confess our sins because he is faithful and he will forgive our sins. And he is our righteousness. He takes our dirtiness and puts it upon himself and makes us righteous in our father's eyes. The next pat next promise, second Corinthians or no Psalms nine, I think. Yep, ninety-one two. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. And it's where our trust should lie. Second Corinthians 120 is a good one here to remember. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So that kind of caps all the promises. All the promises of God are a yes. He don't change his promises. So let's encourage each other as we go through life. Let's encourage us to go 
as we're going through tough times, um, share with each other because we need each other. And um, when we have things go through our life that is not what we expect, then let's turn our focus on him. Um, I know a lot of you know there was an email went out about my dad breaking his hip this week. And that was, he didn't expect that to happen. He didn't expect his week, well, actually his next several weeks and months to look the way they're going to look. It changed my expectation for what my week was going to look like. And the beautiful thing was, is even the night in the ER room, mom and dad both was like, God saw this before we did. It's just a bump in the road. And my dad would probably be embarrassed if he knew I was talking about him. He's kind of a private guy, but I've... I've appreciated this week because not to his, not for his glory, but his relationship with Christ is so deep that this didn't shake him at all. He's, he's in a good spot. And I think the the day after surgery would have been Wednesday, and he prayed before he ate his meal that they brought up. He didn't pray for himself. He prayed for everybody else in the hospital that was had a lot worse off than he did. He was just thankful that it wasn't any worse. And that's a good thing to remember when we're going through our difficult times, if they're Things aren't the way we expect. Let's focus on other people. There's a lot of other people that are in a lot worse shape than we are. Let's pray for them. And then the next night we were down there and he prayed again. And he said, can't get the remember the exact words, but he he said, Father, walk walk with us down the pathway of life for your glory. And so those two things stuck out to me that when we're when our expectations aren't met, when life throws the curve in the road, look to God, pray for other people, don't focus on ourselves, and ask God that through this time, through this walk in our life, that glory would be brought to you. This is happening for your glory, for God, for Christ's glory. And so that's my prayer is, is that we can, then we can share these times with each other and encourage each other as we go through these times. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to, I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to pray through Psalm 23 here. So I've just kind of changed the words a little bit from the eyes to us and things like that. So it sounds more like us as a group here. So let's pray. Father, you, O Lord, is our shepherd, and we need nothing but you. 
You make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, not ours. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod of discipline and your staff of protection, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil and our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in your house with you forever. Father, we pray this and we believe this in Christ's name, amen.